Good morning. Come on in and sit down. We're off to a late start today. Okay, let's ask the Lord to bless our service. Lord, we just thank you that we can be here together today to worship you. Lord, we just pray for a blessing on our service. Pray for everything that's said and done, and just pray that um, you would be glorified. Pray in your name, amen. So uh, it's August, and um, you know, that's peach season. I think I've been up here with a peach before. Some of you probably remember. Anyway, I grow peaches and I sell them at the farmer's market. And um, I like peaches. And this one here, this is a glow haven. It's, it's probably my favorite peach. Very good peach. But I won't eat it in front of you today. I'll just leave it here for you to look at. That's a, that's a good peach. So, um, so I've kind of learned that Selling peaches, it's just not a simple transaction. You know, you'd think that, you know, you're selling something and people, you know, say, I want this much and give you money and you give it to them and it's simple, right? But no, peaches are not simple, I've come to understand. Peaches are an emotional thing to people. And I know... Uh, Bella's smiling because she understands this. So um, peaches, when you take a bite, everybody is looking for this experience they had sometime back in the past. When they took a bite out of a peach and the juice ran down their face, you know, and they just want to be there. And so when you're trying to sell them peaches, they aren't always reasonable because emotions are hard to deal with. Anyway, um, in fact, I can attest to this. Sometimes they just pop up unexpectedly. And anyway, so I had a particular customer on Friday and um, she was trying to find that peach. <laughs> and um, it was very busy. I mean, there were people lined up five deep, you know, and. She had, I had peaches on the scale, and I had a box there, and she could not decide, and she squoze every peach twice, and bruised a bunch of them, and she couldn't decide, and she wanted that peach that was that one she remembered from when she was a kid, I think. And, you know, I said, these are good peaches, they'll be good, you'll like them, you know, and, and she didn't trust me. And um, she finally um, made up her mind. But in the meantime, I could see Sue and Bella. They were walking by me. And they had a little bit of, I would say, um, a little bit of sympathy. But they were also kind of smiling because they were thinking, sure glad you got that customer, not me. <laughs> anyway... Um, so I just want to think about, um, you know, when we worship the Lord, it's, it's not just a physical transaction. It also involves our emotions. 
And I just want us to help us uh, think about that. Uh, let's read Isaiah 53, 6. Um, this is like the very heart of the Bible. Um, very uh, meaningful words. We have all wandered away like sheep. Each of us has gone his own way, but the Lord has put on him the punishment for all the evil we have done. I listened to a song this morning by Jars of Clay, and um, I just want to listen to it real fast. It's a fairly short song, and um, I just want you to think about worshiping the Lord and get some perspective before we do that. What a privilege. We've been washed by his blood. So let's uh, pray, and I'll invite the worship team to come up. Lord, I just thank you for washing us with your blood. Thank you for cleansing us from our unrighteousness and making us able to worship you in spirit and truth, Lord. Lord, I just pray for a blessing on our service today, for this worship time especially. Lord, help us to turn our hearts toward you. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can stand, and let's worship the Lord together. I saw the light, I saw the light, no more in darkness, no more in
Yes, Father, we just thank you this morning. Lord, we thank you that we can praise you right now with our voice, with song. Lord, it's just the beginning because what's coming will be endless days that we will sing your praise. Father, we look forward to that. But Lord, I thank you that we can start right now. Even in this life, Lord, where there's pain, where there's hurt. Someday we won't have that. We'll sing freely to you. But Lord, we can choose right now to praise you and to worship you even through our hurt and our pain and our disappointment. And Lord, I thank you that you are looking for worshipers, those that will choose to worship you. So, Father, we thank you right now. We worship you. We give you the honor and the glory and the praise that you deserve, Jesus. May you be magnified and lifted up today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Good morning. It is good to be here this morning. Welcome if you are here joining us for the first time. We're glad you're here. I was thinking of the words to the second to last song that we sang, and it says, who can command the highest praise? Who has the name above all names? You stand alone. I stand amazed. Jesus, only Jesus. That's powerful. That's incredible when we sing that. Do we really understand when we're singing a lot of times what it is that we're really singing? It's good to be here this morning. It seems like during the week my voice comes back and is fairly strong during the week until Sunday now, and it is a little interesting, but we're going to continue and persevere through anyways. We're going to Acts chapter 7 this morning, Acts chapter 7, and we're going to read about half of that one, and it's a little bit lengthy, so just bear with me as we read it. Acts chapter 7, starting at verse 1, it says, Then the high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives, and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran, and from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land, and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them four hundred years." And the nation to whom they will be in bondage I will judge, said God, and after that they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. The patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt." And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt, and Canaan and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers first, and the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people, So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem. 
But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, take your sandals off. Your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. So what is going on? Remember what had happened is that Stephen was teaching and preaching. And they didn't really like what he was saying. They didn't agree with it. So they paid some people or they talked some people into lying about him and tell him that, tell, say that he was blaspheming God. And so they bring Peter, and he's before the high priest, and the first question that's asked right at the beginning of the chapter is, are these things so? Are these accusations that are being made true? Is what people are saying about you, is this really what's happening? What is your first reaction if somebody asks about an accusation that someone made about you? what would your first reaction to be? Be? If they're not true, your first reaction, my first reaction would be to defend myself. That's what we tend to do. We want to defend ourselves. We want to try to explain why these things aren't true. But Stephen here is standing in front of the high priest and they ask, are these accusations true? And Stephen does not try to defend himself. It's amazing to me to look at this because Stephen sees this as an opportunity to share what God has done. He keeps talking about our people and our fathers because this is where all of these people came from. So now it's Stephen's turn 
to share. They've asked him, are these things true? And rather than defend himself, he's going to give all glory and honor to God, and he's going to try to continue to show the faithfulness of God through the things that have happened. So why does he do this? Why do we have here in Acts chapter 7 a repeat of a whole bunch of the Old Testament? Because that's essentially what it's talking about. Moses, Joseph, or excuse me, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, all of the things that we've learned. When you hear these, when you read it through here, do you, guys, do you know these stories? Are these stories, they're not stories, it's history, but is it familiar to you? Do you know them? If you've ever sat in children's church back there, you have heard these over and over and over and over again. And I think that's why, that's part of the reason why. Why does Stephen go so in-depth to try to tell all of these things that are happening? He's trying to show that God has been faithful. He's trying to show that God is still faithful even today. So why does the same thing keep getting shared repeatedly? Why are we going back to the Old Testament to look at all those things that happened again? And I really feel like the reason that we do is because we so often get distracted. I have said this a lot of times up here. We get so easily distracted that we forget why we're here. We forget why we're living here. We forget what our purpose here really is. And so what do we do? We go back over some of the same things again so that we can recognize and realize that God is still faithful. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm going to read uh, the, the kids. A lot of the kids are still here this morning, which is great. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, it says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgment which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. How are we doing? I read this because in Acts, we're going back through a lot of the history that happened in the Old Testament. Why? Because we need to hear it again, and we need to hear it again, and we need to hear it again. How are we doing when it says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Is that what we do? Are we talking, are we thinking, and are we sharing the Lord with people no matter where we are? It talks about passing it on to your children, which is very important, but I think it's also important that no matter what we're doing, we're sharing the Lord with people, whether we're saying something or whether it's just by the actions that we show. Because we can say, well, this is my job over here, and then on Sunday we're gonna come to church, 
if you, if you ask me, and I don't a lot of times share my opinion up here, but one of mine is, is that that should not be two separate things. The way you are today when you come to church should be the same person that you are tomorrow when you go to work. It should not change. How are we doing when it says to write them You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. How are we doing? Are we doing that? Are we remembering that no matter where we are and no matter who who we are with and no matter what we are doing, we are still shining Jesus' light? Are we? Because people are seeing something. They're watching. They want to know what's going on. They want to know. Hopefully they're wanting to know what it is in your life that they might not have. How do we form a habit or a routine? This is a, maybe a poor analogy, but uh, how do you wake up every morning? Why do you set your alarm clock every morning? You don't. Set your alarm clock because you know you have to be up at a certain time. Once you've done that for a while, you just wake up at that time because your body's used to it. But you know what? You probably still set your alarm clock because you don't want to be late. But how do we form routines? How do we form patterns in our lives? It's by doing something repeatedly over and over, not just for a day or two, but continuously. And I think this whole thing with writing his word on our heart, sharing it with people, I think the only way that we do that is to do it consistently, to do it repeatedly, to make an effort to be intentional about doing that with people, about sharing that, about being aware of what kind of a presence we're giving off. Stephen is reminding everyone, including us today, of God's faithfulness. He starts with Abraham. And I don't know if you have read through the story of Abraham recently, but that is quite interesting what God asked Abraham to do. I want you to leave your family. I'm not going to tell you exactly where you're going. I'm not going to tell you exactly what you're going to be doing. I just want you to leave your family. And you just go where I lead. No, I don't know about you, but sometimes that wouldn't really be good enough for me. I'm afraid. Maybe if we learned to trust the Lord, maybe that would be enough. But can you imagine just packing up and leaving and not knowing where you're going? He wasn't going to be coming back home. It wasn't like they were just going on a trip or a vacation. No, they were leaving. And God furthermore promises him that I'm going to give you descendants like the stars of the sky. And I'm going to give you an inheritance of, of land. Now in Abraham's life, he never did see that. He had one son late in life. He never did own any property. Do we believe the promises of God? Do we live by Do we believe the promises of God by what we can see? Or do we believe the promises of God because God said them? Because if Abraham lived by what he could see, he wouldn't have seen much. 
Except that God was faithful to him. Except that God took care of him wherever he went, provided for everything that he needed. He did do that. But these big promises that God told him was going to happen, he didn't see them. If Abraham had been living by what he could see, instead of having faith in God's promises, he would have struggled more probably than what he did. Zach last week read Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, and I'm going to read it again this morning. Verses 1 through 3, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now that can be a little difficult to understand because we can't imagine making something from something we can't see. But the reason I think that's important is because the God that we serve can make something out of nothing. He did make everything out of nothing. It says in Genesis that he spoke and things became. And that makes no sense to us. But here, back to Acts Stephen continues on with Joseph. Joseph was sold to Egypt because his brothers were greedy and they were jealous and they didn't like him. They sold him to Egypt. But God took even that and turned it into good. God had even been preparing through that a way to save his people. Again, God's faithfulness is following his people. After Joseph was gone and after the Pharaoh that knew Joseph was gone, the new king came along and didn't know who Joseph was. And it continues going to say that they started to make them their slaves. Now the family of Abraham is at this point multiplying rapidly. They're getting very, very large. And you, if you know what happened at all, then they made a decree that all the babies two and under were going to be killed. And this is right during the time when Moses was born. Again, the faithfulness of God following his people. How is God faithful when all of these babies are being killed? That doesn't make sense, really, but God was still faithful because it was during that time that he brought the next leader out of who was going to bring them out of Egypt. But <clears throat> the, Hebrew <clears throat> the Hebrew people didn't think Moses was the one to lead them because he didn't feel like one of them. Because it says at three months old, he was raised by the Egyptians, and he was taught in all things of the Egyptians. So for the first 40 years of his life, he was, by every sense, an Egyptian. Except that he came from a Hebrew family. And so at 40 years, he went back to see what was going on, and that's when one of his own people said, who made you a ruler or a judge over us? They didn't want anything to do with him. They didn't believe that this is who God was going to send, and it wasn't time for it yet. So when Moses heard this, he left. For 40 years, he left. And this is, again, what Stephen is continuing to share in front of the high priest. Do we ever feel like some things take a long time to get an answer for? 
Do we pray for, we, we hopefully we do pray for a lot of different things, but a lot of times we pray, Lord, uh, bless the food that we're about to eat. Well, now we're going to eat the food. And so we pray for the food and then we eat the food and we're okay. So the prayer must have worked. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud, okay? But are there other things that we pray for for a long, long time and we don't see any results? Because the people of Egypt have been, not the people of Egypt, the Hebrews living in Egypt have been crying out to God to deliver them for 400 years. And I don't know about you, but after 400 years, I, I, they didn't all live that long, obviously. But after a lifetime of praying for something, I would get a little discouraged. Maybe a lot discouraged. But how often do we pray for things and do we continue praying for things I've shared the story before of our four-wheeler that was stolen. And it was gone for, what, four months? Five, four months? And we kept praying for it, and pretty soon you kind of forget, you know, it's probably gone, we're never going to see that again. And then the night before, one night, uh, all of a sudden, Atlee decides to pray that we would get it back again. And it was that very night that we got a phone call it's just exciting to see the faithfulness of God. We got a phone call from the sheriff's department saying, hey, I think we found your four-wheeler. That same night, we probably hadn't prayed for that for three weeks. But yet, for some reason, God used that to once again remind me not to forget. Don't forget to pray. Sometimes we pray for things for a long time. Three or four months isn't that long. Sometimes it's a lifetime. And we may not even see the results of it. I saw something that said the seed that we plant today is not the fruit that we harvest. We don't eat the fruit the same day we plant the seed. It takes time. Do we continue? Are we faithful in praying? We know for a fact that God is faithful, and Stephen is trying to show this by running down a lot of things that happened in the Old Testament, how God was still faithful, even over hundreds and hundreds of years, he was still faithful to his people. So Moses left. He was gone for 40 years, and then God calls him back through a burning bush says, I want you to go back now and rescue your people. Clear back to the first question, the beginning of, of Acts chapter 7. Are these things true? Are these accusations that are being made against you true? Again, what do we do with these accusations? Do we need to feel the need to defend ourselves or do we, like Stephen, focus on sharing our faith? Do we focus on sharing our faith? One more verse that I'd like to read, Ephesians chapter six. Verses 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. 
And I guess I feel like this is maybe where Stephen was at. He's preaching, he's sharing the gospel, he's teaching what he's heard, he's sharing his testimony, and they're accusing him falsely. He's done nothing wrong, and here he is standing on what he knows. Not defending himself, not making up excuses, but very boldly sharing the faithfulness of God to the high priest, no less. So what are some things to remember? This is a, could have been a difficult time for Stephen because he doesn't know what's going to happen. We'll find out next week. You know what, what happens to him. But what are some things that we can remember? If we're just trying to stand, we've done all that we know to do, we've put on the full armor of God, and all as we're trying to do is stand, what are some promises that we know that we can count on? What are some things that we can be certain of. One of them would be that God is in control. And nothing surprises him. So when Stephen finds himself speaking in front of the high priest, this didn't surprise God. God was still in control. The second one is this world is not all there is. It will pass away. But God is eternal. And it's really hard sometimes to understand what that really means because all we know and do is right here in this life. We don't really understand very clearly what's going to be next except that we get to spend eternity with God. But what that's going to look like, how it's going to happen, we maybe don't completely understand. What we do understand is right here and right now. But this life isn't going to last. We can count on that. We also know that God is the one that's eternal. The third one is that God is just. He will make things right, punishing the wicked, rewarding the faithful. God is just. He will make things right. What's happening to Stephen doesn't seem like it's very fair. Because he's being put on trial, having not done anything wrong, except for share who Jesus is. Share the faithfulness of God. Because it made somebody upset and they didn't like it, this is where he finds himself. But God is just, and he will make things right. God is just, and he will make things right. And the fourth one is this. God wants to use you to make a difference in the world. In Acts, we looked at different people that God called and God used, Abraham and Joseph and Moses and all through scripture, people that God used in the same way that God used them. He also wants to use you. It might look like different things today. Maybe it's helping with the children's ministries here. Maybe it's helping with worship. Maybe it's helping your neighbor with something that needs done. But God wants to use you. He wants to work through you. He wants to minister through you. And all we have to do is be willing to be used. God is in control. This world is not all there is. God is just. He will make things right. And God wants to use you to make a difference in the world today. Don't forget the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a song. I'm going to have you stand. If you want to sing along with it, it's just going to be played over the screen. But if you want to stand up, you can. If you want to, you don't have to. Stand up, sing along with it. But I just want you, if you don't know it, I want you to think about the words that are being sung. And I want you to realize and remember how faithful God is. And I want you to think about things in your life because there are always things in our lives in ways that God has been faithful. And I want you to think about what those things might be because there are things in your life that God has been faithful and God continues to be faithful. Father, thank you for your love. I pray that you would bless the weak. Lord, may you be glorified through the things that we do. And I pray that you'd help us to be continually reminded of your faithfulness. Help us not to forget that. In your name we pray, amen. Just remember as we go about this week that God is faithful. Have a great week. You may be dismissed.